0: Having the right infrastructure in place is the last piece of the puzzle. And we need to get this right.
1: Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 29th of November. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Later in the episode, I'm going to be looking at whether a new plan to improve Europe's grids is all it's cracked up to be. First, though, let's take a look at the stories making headlines around the world. The European Union's executive branch wants to prolong emergency energy price measures for another 12 months. The Commission has proposed that three crisis policies be extended through 2024 to help build market resilience. They include joint gas purchasing, a market correction mechanism that has admittedly never been used, and accelerated renewable energy permitting procedures. It will now be up to the 27 member countries to sign off on the extension. There's been little opposition to these measures, so it is likely that approval will be granted without any drama. Link in the show notes to more details about the EU's crisis toolbox. Fossil fuel giant Exxon has decided to join the UN's methane emissions monitoring programme. After years of pushback against external checks on its climate impact, the US firm has agreed to sign up to the oil and gas methane partnership. That initiative has been in place for a decade, and includes most big Western oil companies. Once Exxon has joined, it will leave just Chevron as an outlier. About 40% of methane emissions come from the energy sector, with oil and gas by far the biggest contributors. Tune into the latest edition of the Policy Dispatch, which looks into methane emissions and what is being done to neutralize them. Virgin Atlantic, an airline, operated the world's first long-haul commercial flight using sustainable aviation fuels yesterday. The New York London flight had no pay in passengers or cargo on board as flights are still not regulated to use more than a 50% blend of fuel. It will return to New York using regular kerosene. The SAF was sourced from used cooking oil and animal fats with some synthetic kerosene blended in. It is by no means emissions free and environmental groups have labelled the flight as simple greenwashing. Sticking with aviation, and engine maker Rolls-Royce is pulling out of electric and hydrogen propulsion research. The firm has indicated that it believes conventional engines running on cleaner fuels will continue to be the option for the next two decades. Airbus is continuing with its work on hydrogen, which it hopes will pay off by a 2035 deadline, but it too has already called time on electric-only R&D. The United States' first enhanced geothermal power plant is now online in Nevada. The Google-backed 3.5MW project has been hailed as a breakthrough in carbon-free power generation. Enhanced geothermal works the same as regular geothermal, but uses sophisticated drilling techniques to access deeper and harder to access heat sources. The US Department of Energy forecasts that geothermal could provide 90 gigawatts of power by 2050 if projects like this one become more widespread. Panama will shut down one of the world's largest copper mines after a court ruling struck down a controversial agreement. Canadian firm First Quantum had been granted a new concession to operate the mine, which provides about 1% of the world's copper supply. That triggered widespread protests as people railed against alleged corruption and sidelining of environmental standards. An appeals process and international arbitration are both likely, as First Quantum claims it has invested billions of dollars in the mine. The International Energy Agency has published its Energy Efficiency Report for 2023. It warns that there is likely to be a slight slowdown in energy saving progress this year compared with 2022, but the report insists that this does not tell the whole story and that a profound transformation is underway. Annual efficiency spending, for example, has increased 45% since 2020. Check the show notes for a link to the full report, which is a really interesting read. Germany will stick to its climate commitments, despite ongoing budget difficulties, Chancellor Olaf Scholz has told Parliament. The government was shaken by a recent constitutional court ruling that struck down a €60 billion euro climate fund, but it has responded by extended emergency powers that should circumvent strict debt rules. Talks on the 2024 budget are, though, expected to spill over into next year. <laughs> And European power companies have agreed to make electricity connections with Ukraine a permanent fixture of the grid system. Transmission Systems Association ENSOE said that Ukraine's regulator had met all the technical guidelines asked of it. There was also an agreement to increase the capacity limit for electricity trades by 500 megawatts, bringing it to a total of 1,700 megawatts. That last bit of news on grids is a perfect segue into our deeper dive for the day. Let's get into it. Grids! I said it before in an episode of The Jolt, and I'll say it again. They're one of the most important issues at stake in the energy transition. If we don't get grid policies right, we're in serious trouble. The European Union recently promised a new plan to make sure focus is kept on grids rollout and improvement. Yesterday, it delivered on that pledge. The United States is throwing billions and billions of dollars at grids to try and solve its particular problems. Uh, The European way is a little more nuanced than that though. The new action plan does nothing as sexy as imposing new laws or tapping brand new funding. Instead, it focuses on identifying problems, redirecting attention to projects of common interest, long-term planning and faster permitting. It is hoped that all of these measures together will transform power grids from being a bottleneck to being an enabler of more clean electricity and decarbonised energy. The reaction has been rather positive. Elizabeth Cremona, an analyst at Ember Climate, had this to say about the plan.
2: I would say the last year, maybe even slightly further, is the very first time we've started to see grids actually starting to constrain renewable uh, development. So we've had a very positive uh, development of renewables actually accelerating all across the world, Europe included. And it's for the first time that we start to see them confront the challenges of grids. So people are starting to become very, very aware how important grids are. They are essentially the highways of the energy transition. And not only would we need to address the need for expansion, but also in Europe specifically, we have quite an old grid infrastructure, just because action was taken all the way in the 50s, 60s. So we have a very old grid. And so we need to address the challenge not only of expanding the grid, but also upgrading and modernizing. I think the publication of this action plan is a really concrete step forward. The EU has very clearly now put grids within its political agenda, and this is really important for a strategic technology. You need this kind of political support in order to accelerate it and support faster rollout. So I do think progress has been made simply by putting it on the agenda and having this grids action plan.
1: Naomi Shevaya with Solar Power Europe also thinks the plan is a step in the right direction.
3: And in general, in the medium term, solving the grid bottlenecks will be critical to uh, to support the grid integration of solar. So, for example, last I mean this year we um, we saw that there was a lot more uh, curtailment, so solar PV that had, that was uh, asked to stop because of grid constraints, and that impacts the revenues and the business case of uh, of solar. It's very positive that the commission wants to accelerate actions, uh, actions there. Uh, we were quite uh, disappointed by the uh, implementation of the clean energy package. So that was uh, adopted in 2018. So that's already five years ago. In 2022, we looked at uh, network development plans implementation and out of 16 countries that we interviewed, we had eight countries that were not at all respecting the rules of the clean energy package five, uh, four years after their implementation. So um, some ideas are, are quite uh, interesting. Uh, one of them is indeed this guidance on how to make network development plans, how to make anticipatory investment. So it's the idea of uh, consulting ex-ante with the industry to plan investments before they're even needed to shorten a bit the time for uh, uh, for access to, to a grid connection. We also really like the idea of uh, the pan European view of, of grid uh, hosting capacity and I think it's something that will also help having a sort of EU view of where is the situation good and where it, it requires a bit more support also uh, from the EU to implement and modernize the grid, Uh, it will help Monitoring of implementation of the clean energy package and and uh, and EU oversight, and then just a final idea that is very important for us. It's the idea of having EU level standards for grid connection rules. From an industrial perspective, the solar industry has a number of. Uh, we we still manufacture a number of uh, inverters uh, in Europe, and those inverters have to comply with grid connection rules to access EU markets. But for the moment, there is too little standardisation of those uh, those rules, so they often have to face 27 different grid connection rules uh, and, and, and related certification process. So Administratively, for, for those manufacturers, it's quite heavy. So seeing that the Commission wants to make an effort there is, is very important from an industrial perspective.
1: Sutsana Pato from the Regulatory Assistance Project also explained to me her thoughts on where Europe is going with this.
0: I think it's very important to emphasize that this action plan, basically, it's predominantly implementing what is already there for four years in the legislation. So there, there's nothing revolutionary in the action plan. Basically, acknowledges that implementation of the Electricity directive and regulation with regards to grid has been really poor in the past. So basically, the EC takes some actions so that other actors, network companies, regulators and governments start to do something with grids, because grids are really now bottlenecks for the whole decarbonisation of the power sector.
1: Just one question on a point that I saw made by a few energy policy experts, uh, that national regulators should be provided with a net zero mandate. How would that help the energy transition, do you think? Would it be difficult to pull off as well?
0: Well, I don't know how difficult that would be to pull off. I think that would help the whole transition. If you have a look at the NRA mandates today across the European countries, they are very different legal mandates, including competitiveness, consumer protection, sustainability in general, reliability. But sustainability is a very, very vague formulation of actually a political goal, which is out there in Europe to have net zero power system. If you want to have net zero economy by 2050, we need to have for the power system to be transferred to net zero much before, like 35 or 40. So such a mandate would give much more autonomy and probably power for the NRAs to redirect their efforts and also resources, which are very limited to this this goal. So for example, if they would have a net zero uh, mandate, they could request network companies to put out plans which are net zero compliant, and not only for five or 10 years, but for, for, for good. So to have like a master plan, how the grid should look like in a net zero power system. So I guess it would have a, a triggering effect uh, also beyond the mandate of the network company.
1: Progress on grids then. Uh, stay tuned to see whether this action plan indeed becomes a reality. Thanks for joining me for today's Jolt. I'll be back on Friday with another edition. In the meantime, check out the latest episodes of What Matters and the Policy Dispatch. Prepare yourself for COP28 as well. It's all kicking off tomorrow. The Jolt is free to air, so please do share the episodes with friends and colleagues if you enjoy listening. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping to make The Jolt possible. And shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of The Jolt.